Here we are saying second sports. This is pod number seven. I am John Schofield. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Ward Carroll, uh, who shot a very tidy 109 at Whiskey Creek Golf Course up in uh, Carroll County, Maryland. Uh, and also our special guest, Bill Wagner, who I think shot a 108, shaving out a victory over Ward yesterday. But really, really fun day. Uh, for the entire Sing Second Sports team yesterday at Whiskey Creek Golf Course up there in Carroll County, Maryland. We got the band completely together with uh, Chris and Ward and Wags and myself. So really fun day on the golf course. And and we're really, really excited about bringing you pod number seven today. Uh, we have got some heavy hitters lined up. We have former Naval Academy Superintendent Ted Carter, class of 81, hockey uh, star, I guess we'll say, hockey player. Um, on the hockey team back in the day. I can only say that because he's not online with us right now or else he'd kill me. And then also we have the athletic director of the U.S. Naval Academy, Chet Gladchuk. Uh, Chet and his team have played a very large role in supporting this podcast and, and making it what it is and making available the coaches and players we need uh, to talk to in order for this podcast to be solvent. So awesome show coming up today. Uh, we'll get right into the interviews, and then Wags, Ward, and I will break it down at the end. You're listening to Sing Second Sports. We're going to go to a quick break, and when we come back, you'll be listening to our interview with Ted Carter. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right, we are back on Sing Second Sports. Real honor to be joined by Admiral retired Ted Carter. Recently served as the Naval Academy superintendent was the superintendent for about five years, and then in January became the official new president of the University of Nebraska system. Admiral Carter, while he was a student at the Naval Academy graduating in 81, was an ice hockey player. We'll talk to him a little bit about his athletic career at the Naval Academy and how he got the nickname Slapshot. Uh, But first of all, Admiral, thank you so much for uh, joining Sing Second Sports, and how are you doing? I'm good, John. Thanks for having me on uh, for Sing Second Sports. We love having the ability to talk about sports uh, at the Naval Academy and how giving fans of Naval Academy sports another avenue to hear about it and follow it and read about it. Uh, Before I let uh, Bill Wagner ask you a couple of questions, I'll just ask you, what was it about your athletic experience at the Naval Academy that you think shaped you in your career going forward, not only as an aviator, but then as a flag officer? Um, how did you actually take the lessons learned on the fields of friendly strife and how did they actually formulate your leadership approach going forward in your career? Well, thanks, John. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, we're talking now like 43 years ago uh, when I was a plebe at the Naval Academy. And uh, I did not, 
I was not a recruited athlete to come to the Naval Academy. I was very fortunate to, to attend it all from my small town in uh, Burrowville, Rhode Island. But I got to try out for a club team, the hockey team, and uh, was thrilled that I made the team as a plebe. And I played all four years. Granted, nothing like some of the big competitive sports that Navy uh, competes in at Division One, but competition is competition. And uh, we played uh, in a league that was mostly Division Three national level, some Division Two teams. And what my big memory of being on a sports team like that was, A, how tight we were, probably had a lot to do with me actually staying at the Naval Academy when so many midshipmen have those thoughts of leaving before they sign their two for seven. But uh, it was really the you know, being so close with my teammates and, and being involved in a team sport where, you know, the, the success of the team is so much bigger than what you are as an individual, no matter how good of a performer you are. Uh, and I took that type of mentality in everything I did, whether it be flying in combat, being in large organizations, small organizations, uh, those lessons that I took from being on what I would consider to be a high performing club sports team uh, were relevant to me for my whole life and even in how I approach things today. Interesting perspective in that WAGS was just saying on our last podcast that some of the causality behind uh, some of the football players entering the transfer portal is that they are not physically around their company mates and their teammates and people who can kind of rah-rah them in order to stay on campus. Um, so a- interesting perspective there. Before WAGS asks his question, I'll ask one more. Um, you were a part of some really cool events at the Naval Academy athletics-wise. You know, we were there at the height of the winning streak against Army and Army-Navy football, uh, welcoming the Winter Classic to Navy Marine Corps Stadium with the Caps and the Maple Leafs, and we had the female uh, Olympic hockey team out there right after they had won the gold. Um, a lot of cool things. Uh, baseball ex- exhibitions in, uh, in Max Bishop Stadium with MLB. What was the coolest thing in your experience there as the superintendent athletics-wise that you'll take away? Well, without question, even though we got to do some of the most amazing events, uh, no matter what the event was, and you you hit on some of the, the more high-profile ones, but at the end of the day, the, the most amazing part to me was to see how midshipmen interacted, not just within you know their Division I competitive classmates and fellow midshipmen, but how they reacted to it themselves. I mean, everybody is an athlete at the Naval Academy. It's one of the most cool, unique things about a service academy. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be on the division one, you know, group of six or group of five or power six, however we're going to call the American Athletic Conference these days, uh, competitive level for football players to respect all the rest of the brigade of midshipmen because they know they're athletes as well. So every time uh, we got to see the brigade interact with a high-profile event, and I, I'll, I have two distinct memories, both related to football. The first, uh, one of my favorites, is when we defeated uh, number six nationally ranked Houston at home, and the brigade uh, just came, you know, just took over the field, and we were all caught up in the emotion of that. Uh, myself included, I canceled classes on Monday, something that I, I somewhat regret in looking backwards. Uh, but I'll also take a little credit that we got nationally ranked at number 25 because we made a headline out of that. So, you know, that things happen like that. Uh, the professors are probably still mad at me over doing that. Uh, but the other was uh, seeing the brigade come out of Bancroft Hall 
at four o'clock in the morning after we defeated number 16 Memphis on the road and the team got back in the middle of the night. And, you know, seeing well over a thousand midshipmen come out into T court, just spontaneously cheering on their team. You know, you can't get people to do that kind of stuff. And I, I'd argue that you don't see that on any other campus in the country. So those are some of the really big special moments. Admiral, you were at almost every Navy sporting event I was covering. I know how much you love Navy athletics, but just tell me your thoughts about why athletics is such a crucial component of the Naval Academy experience. There's no question that the athletic part of the mission of the Naval Academy is uh, equally as important to the, uh, uh, the moral and the mental mission, but to be able to put ourselves in the competitive level at the highest level that we possibly can, which for us is Division I athletics, 33 Division I athletic programs between men and women, uh, I think we're still number three in the nation in the number of Division I sports teams that we field. Uh, it, it sets our men and women up that are going to go into uniform and lead other men and women in the Navy, the Marine Corps, to be successful. Uh, and I believe that's true in all of NCAA athletics across every campus. I mean, the highest cohort of graduation for any campus across the nation are NCAA Division I, Division II, and Division Three athletes. So uh, there is an incredible amount of success in students that are deeply involved in athletics. And I even see that here in Nebraska. Um, you know, for me personally, uh, I love sports. Uh, I love the competitive spirit and I like it in just about any sport. And I, I really enjoyed that. I always felt like I could have gone to more sporting events uh, uh, just because I enjoyed it. I mean, you have to have a certain love of sports to go into the basement of Bancroft Hall as somebody that thinks you're going to see something that's uh, spectator worthy to, to watch a rifle match. I mean, unless you shoot rifle and you really understand what goes on with that, uh, there's not a whole lot to see. I mean, uh, but I found great enjoyment when I learned the exact nature of how, you know, our, uh, our shooters get better at that. And of course, uh, Navy has risen in the ranks in, in the sport of rifle. So uh, just about every different type of sport, whether it be men's and women's lacrosse, uh, sailing, uh, and of course, uh, you know, big blue for uh, Navy football. Uh, it's always exciting. Speaking of varsity sports, and obviously Navy has, you know, as you mentioned, as many or more than any college in the country. And a lot of that is to get as many mids as possible participating. But there are also club sports and two of the most popular are ice hockey and rugby. Rugby plays at an incredibly high level. Navy rugby is one of the best programs in the entire country. I think they've won national championships. Ice hockey has always been highly competitive. Um, people always ask, why are they not varsity sports? And then, you know, we get in trouble for not covering them as much as we should. But but what's your thoughts on the club sports? And, you know, being an ice hockey player yourself, what, just your thoughts on that? Well, there'll always be a little, um, you know, desire to go up to the next level. I mean, I remember when I was a midshipman, uh, we, we thought we deserved to get a look at becoming a varsity sport. What I didn't know as a midshipman that I learned definitely working so closely with Chet Gladchuk and our amazing Naval Academy Athletic Association, which is the reason we have so many Division I competitive sports. I mean, that business runs very well. But as you mentioned, uh, 20 club sports teams at the Naval Academy, uh, many of them pretty high profile, they do incredibly well. And uh, the spirit of competition is a real thing. Uh, in most cases, the reason that uh, we don't take some sports like ice hockey to the Division I level is 
because uh, it's a very high level cost. Ice hockey, if it were to go to a division one level at a place like the Naval Academy, similar to West Point Air Force, would become the most num- would be the number two most expensive sport on the yard, and mostly because of travel. Um, now, is there an opportunity somewhere down the road if we had a proper rink that had the right size and the right benefactors, as rugby has seen from Naval Academy alumni who have uh, invested a, a lot of money into that program? One of the reasons that they have the high-profile coaches and the great recruiting, uh, anything's possible. And I think those are opportunities that can be looked at down the road. But yes, the Navy rugby team is one that should be modeled as a, an incredible success. Uh, they've been a top 10 ranked nationally against varsity and other club teams. It, it's a sport where you don't get penalized for being a club. You still get to play the top competition. Um, and, and it's got its own following. So, you know, you go out there to the pitch on a Saturday on a, on a bright fall day, and they've got thousands of fans out there. And hockey on a Friday night over in uh, McMullen Arena now will have a you know, full house at about 1,000. So uh, there's a place for club sports, and it did a lot for me. It uh, gave me that sense of camaraderie. As I said, it probably helped retain me at a time when I wasn't sure I would stay, uh, and I think it's still doing the same. You know, I, I went out and watched a number of women's softball uh, events as they won two consecutive national championships in club sports. I mean, a remarkable, remarkable program. I mean, they could jump with the same players into NCAA Division One and probably still have a winning season as a club sport. Uh, probably the most unheralded club sports team with success on the Naval Academy ground. So very proud of what our club sports have uh, become at the Naval Academy. One last question for me, and I'll turn it back to John. But, um, you know, during the bulk of my time covering Navy athletics almost entirely, really, since I've been the beat writer, uh, Chet Gladchuk's been the athletics director. And, you know, I see how good he is at what he does. He's one of the best in the nation in fact, he's one of the most respected athletic directors in the entire nation. Uh, you worked hand in hand with Chet, and maybe you could kind of tell Navy fans how fortunate they are to have uh, such a pro um, and a man of integrity who uh, really knows how to run an athletics program. I'll make two quick points here uh, with Chet Gladchuk. Uh, first is uh, there's probably not a better athletic director uh, of his type at, at any level in the country. And I can say that uh, having been around the country, being an NCAA board, uh, Chet is principally a phenomenal businessman. And he is the reason Navy athletics has done as well as it has for the, I think it's 130 year old now, Naval Academy Athletic Association, a unique 501c3 that directly supports uh, Navy athletics for the Naval Academy that operates in the black uh, very few sports programs in the country can say that. By the way, Nebraska, Lincoln is one of those as well. Um, but for the size and scope of that athletic budget, mostly riding on the shoulders of Navy football, it's a remarkable gift that Chet Gladchuk has brought to the Naval Academy fans. Uh, he will be impossible to replace. Uh, it will be a sad day when he chooses to retire. Um, I hope he chooses to stay a little bit longer. Uh, he made it his mission to work with uh, Coach Ken Niamatololo to turn around the Navy football program, which has clearly happened last year. Um, but here's the other point that I wanted to make. Uh, anytime I went somewhere with Chet where we were on a national level with other athletic directors, no matter what the topic, no matter what the discussion, no matter how many voices were in the room, when Chet spoke, everybody shut up and listened to Chet. And uh, I 
it just gave me another level of respect for how uh, important and how well respected Chet is. Uh, he is pure gold for Navy athletics. Completely agree, sir. And uh, before I let you go, I'll, I'll ask you another football related question. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned before we went on air uh, that you still get the capital, you still read the capital. And I'll, I'll speak on behalf of the podcast and Bill by saying thank you for supporting the local paper and supporting the capital. I know they need it. Uh, but Bill just wrote a great story in there about Malcolm Perry uh, signing his contract with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, you and I were there. You were the stoop. I was the PAO and Keenan and Joe Cardona went to the NFL. And then right after you left as the superintendent, DOD finalized the new professional athlete participation policy, the same one that Malcolm Perry is now benefiting from. What do you, now that you're no longer wearing the uniform, you're no longer the superintendent, as an alumnus, as a former athlete, how do you feel about that policy? And what do you think it will do to affect service academy athletics in the long term? Well, let me say, first of all, I, I'm not only a big fan of Malcolm Perry, uh, I, I care deeply about him. Uh, I was on the field when we brought him out of the stands when he was a plebe. I remember that like yesterday. And uh, I'll be very honest and upfront. I actually shed a tear when he was drafted by the Miami Dolphins. I, I just, I was that emotional about it. Uh, now, I will also say that while I was superintendent, I was fairly vocal about not professionalizing our midshipmen into athletics. I mean, that's not really our mission. That said, um, I have shifted my thinking a little bit. I think there is room and space for a very, very small percentage, those special athletes who come in with the idea that they're going to serve in the Navy and the Marine Corps, but by virtue of the fact they've been given this opportunity and maybe they just change athletically and physically to suddenly now maybe be able to be in that rare less than 1% that could go into professional athletics. I mean, Joe Cardona is a, a phenomenal example of that. He, he grew into his role while he was a midshipman. David Robinson, another great example, even though he went and served, you know, in what we now call the David Robinson model, serving two years in uniform and then going into the pros. Um, so I, I guess what I'm telling you is somebody that's lived in it and been part of the, the policy decision-making, I am okay with it. What I would be wary of is if recruiting changes to say, hey, if you come to a service academy, we can guarantee you that if you do A, B, and C, we'll get you into the professional athletic ranks. I think there, that would be a dangerous precedent. Uh, I think coaches and recruiting have to be very careful about that. Um, because we are the, we there we are there and we exist uh, at the benefit of the taxpayers to send our midshipmen through, get them that four-year undergraduate experience, and commission them for the Navy and the Marine Corps. And now you've transitioned from uh, being the superintendent at a pretty good option school to uh, being the president of a university with a pretty good option quarterback running the uh, football team there uh, in Lincoln. Um, at last question will be. You know, how have your communications been with the uh, coaching staff uh, there at Nebraska? Have any of them expressed the same fear? Um, you know, again, referencing one of Bill Wagner's uh, stories about, you know, some college programs, including Furman, uh, which affected former Navy lacrosse coach Richie Meade pretty poorly, cut a bunch of sports, including lacrosse. So have your coaches expressed any fear that their programs uh, might be in jeopardy and then Finally, what what have your uh, communications been like with Coach Frost, and and what is he predicting for the uh, for the Nebraska football season? 
Well, let me first start with uh, Scott Frost. Uh, I knew Scott Frost when he was the uh, the coach at Central Florida. Uh, great story on him. You know, uh, you know, it's, he was the uh, the quarterback here in Nebraska when they won the national championship in 1997 as an option quarterback, and he played scout quarterback for the Central Florida uh, scout team, getting ready to play Navy when he was a coach down there. Um, so to come back here. Uh, now he is the head coach. He's uh, entering now into his uh, his fifth year of his contract, and uh, we we've become uh, very close friends. Uh, we've gotten to know each other better and better. And uh, I, he is a phenomenal coach. His record doesn't show it just yet. This will be the first year that everybody on the team will have been uh, his recruiting responsibility. Uh, I, I predict that they're going to do a lot better this year. Uh, they may not be in the talk for a national championship, but. Uh, and that's the expectation every year here in Nebraska, but I know they're going to improve more and more each year. So I'm excited about that. You know, Husker athletics here is, uh, is its own cottage industry. We're talking about a $150 million program, mostly rides, uh, you know, on, uh, Husker football to give you an example of how big it is. You know, we looked at the revenues that we would get every year from an army Navy game, the biggest, you know, athletic event, national exposure, uh, every year for West Point and Navy, a single home football game here in Nebraska generates almost double that revenue, one game uh, here in Nebraska. So it's it's big time here. People care about it deeply. Uh, if I want to make a headline here in Nebraska, all I have to do is say anything about Husker football. Uh, I've already learned that. I, I made a mistake early on coming in here that I said, I see the future of Husker football being a top 25 nationally ranked team. And I got just you know, lambasted in the paper that, you know, my expectations were too low. Um, so, you know, there, it's, it's in progress. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about Scott uh, leading here. Uh, athletics is uh, very up and coming and promising across all the board. Uh, he's got some great recruits coming in. Uh, he's got a, a two quarterback challenge here with Martinez and McCaffrey. Uh, so he's got some tough decisions to make. Uh, they're not in full up practice yet. The NCAA will be part of all that. Uh, but it's great to be in such amazing competitive league. I mean, if you look at the schedule that Nebraska has this year, it's either number two or number three, the most difficult college football schedule in the country. So there are no layup games. They're all tough. Uh, I, I told Scott, I said, you know, if scheduling becomes difficult and we can hold the whole schedule, you know, maybe we can think about Navy. And he said to me, he goes, we don't want to play those guys. They play way too hard. Um, so, you know, Scott has a great respect for how tough Navy is, how hard they play. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, maybe someday there could be a Navy, uh, Nebraska game, but uh, probably not in the near future. Admiral, I've got to sign off cause I'm arriving at the airport, but I want to tell you what a pleasure it was to have you. And, uh, so great to see you. Uh, good luck at Nebraska. And, uh, I hope to see you soon, sir. Thank you, Bill. Keep doing the great work. Yeah, and I'll follow up, too, by saying uh, thanks to Admiral Carter for, for coming on. Um, we, we truly hope that uh, you have an opening on the, on the calendar uh, Labor Day weekend, and you can, you can come out to Annapolis and see Navy Notre Dame, uh, Navy Marine Corps Stadium. Um, you know, I think that'll kind of complete you know, the awesome experiences uh, that you had there as the soup. So we hope to see you back in Annapolis soon. And, and on behalf of the entire podcast, we wish you good luck in continuing to navigate um, all of the challenges that are taking place uh, nationwide, but particularly in how you're handling them in, in Lincoln. You'll no doubt 
uh, knock it out of the park as you always do. So thank you very much, sir, for joining us. All right, John, all the best to you. Take care of yourself. You too, sir. All right. That was Admiral Ted Carter, a former ice hockey player at the Naval Academy class of 81, former superintendent and current president of the University of Nebraska system. We are going to go to break. You're listening to Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right, welcome back to Sing Second Sports. Awesome segment just now with Admiral Carter. During the interview, obviously, Admiral Carter spoke very highly of uh, Chuck Gladchuk, who is joining us now, the athletic director of the U.S. Naval Academy. Um, I want to thank Chet, number one, for his leadership. Since he came aboard in the early 2000s, during my time there as the PAO, he was extremely supportive of our uh, operation and and what he's done for the U.S. Naval Academy. What what Admiral Carter said is exactly right. Uh, an incredible business mind, an incredible leader, and someone who has uh, made the Naval Academy a better place since he came in as the athletic director. Uh, Chet, thank you so much for joining Sing Second Sports, and how have you been doing? Thanks, John. Very well. It's great to see you all. I'm doing fine. You know, we're just um, you're trying to virtually stay engaged and make good things happen in preparation for the year. But and before I, I say any more, I'd just like to congratulate you and the and the team for putting this together. When I first heard of the idea, I was just elated knowing that um, there'd be a, another opportunity to share the news, good and bad, the news as it pertains to the academy and, of course, the athletic program. So uh, my congratulations to you and your team and my appreciation. Um, you know, we, we just want to win a game somewhere, John. That, that'd be the bottom line. I mean, we're at the stage now where, you know, our entire existence revolves around, you know, a goal line or a basket, you know, or the buzzer or something happening that brings a, um, you know, an end to a segment and then you move on to the next challenge. You know, we're just been kind of hung up in limbo like everyone else across the country trying to uh, you know, stay glued together, stay focused, and, and prepare ourselves virtually you know, for when we can kick back in again. So, I mean, we've covered every base you could imagine. I could talk about anything you might be interested in, but you know, the bottom line is that um, you know, we need a game, we need a, some competition, we need to get the juices flowing again. The midshipmen deserve more. Um, you know, what they were cut short on this past spring, you know, that being a season that that uh, that didn't materialize the way it should have. But, you know, when we come back here in short order, uh, we'll get our spirits back. And everyone will be geared at, um, at, the, uh, at the goal line. I'll ask you really quick before I kick it to Ward. Um, so we talked, very first pod, we talked to Karen Guevara. Um, yeah, they were able to get their season in, but obviously her seniors uh, you know, did not have a spring semester like they anticipated. Uh, we talked in the last pod to Costi, who, you know, his team only got through about 12 games. Uh, Cindy Timschel, the same way, uh, abbreviated season. So, I, you know, it, it's, 
this is a situation that has affected the entirety of your operation. Every single coach, every single athlete. How would you characterize this in, in your experience, and not just at the University of Houston and all of your stops beforehand, but in terms of a leadership challenge? How, how has this been for you? Well, you know, we we I think you start with the basics. You start with you know who we are, and. Um, I think we've hired some really good people, John, over the years, some really solid professionals. We don't have anyone in our department that, um, that isn't sure of themselves and confident in the job that they do and confident that they can, um, they can surpass and, and uh, take on any challenge that comes on the turnpike, whether it be rainouts, snowouts, uh, whether it be, um, you know, virus for a lacrosse team, you know, that had to cancel that game against Maryland, um, you know, the attitude, the positive attitude, okay, pull it together, stay focused. Uh, I think there's strength of conviction here, you know, within our athletic program. And, and that's why it's been important to me to do everything I can to keep it as glued together as we possibly can because we've got good people. They get it. They understand it. They're very mature. Uh, they know this is out of our control. And no one's going to cry about it because no one's going to listen. You know, you just got to find a way to, to stay focused on uh, preparing, you know, for when we do come back. And that's been my message to the entire, you know, 173 people that comprise the NAAA is, is just that. <clears throat> Before you know it, we'll be back on track. This will flip at some point. We'll be looking back at it and thinking and not even recalling, you know, a lot of these tough days that we've had today. So stay the course and be ready. And that's the attitude of Karen. That's the attitude of Costi. That's the attitude of Joe Amplo, you know, Ed DeCellis, Kenny Nimatololo. They just know that when they're when the whistle sounds, they better be ready to roll. You know, and, and we will be, and they're dealing with the detail in, in that type of preparation and communication with their teams. Well, Chad, I remember when you and I met when you first got here. I remember specifically I was on the tee box of the old number 13, um, Pat walked up with you and introduced uh, you to the four of us, which was the men's group. I think Bill Maton, J.R. Goddard, um, and some of the other guys. Uh, did you hit that 360-yard drive? Well, I did. I, it was a brand-new three-wood that Pete Hiskey had sold me when he was first working, still working with Pink. <laughs> and I do remember I nutted it. So you remember we had the trees behind the tee box that aren't there anymore, and the trees on the right-hand side of the fairway, I hit it just past those trees on the right-hand side. So uh, pressure situation with the new AD to hit that. You know, I tell you, though, but I, I'm also the president of the golf course. And because those trees were a distraction to you, and I anticipate <laughs> to me, I took them out. Thank you, sir. Yes. So we're very excited. We have talked about the renovation with Billy and some others on the show. Yeah. We're very excited about how that's coming together. And then you and I, uh, see each other on the sidelines of games because I'm yeah. part of the chain gang when I'm holding the down box. So when the play takes me to your uh, position, every once in a while we'll exchange a glance of concern or whatever. Of course, I have to be part of the officiating team, so I'm completely unbiased. But, uh, uh, you know, we are looking forward to the return of, as you said, touchdowns, field goals, scores, right? And so we're very excited about the developments of the Notre Dame game, which, which Waggle talked to you about in more detail. But let me ask you to pull up to 30,000 feet. And from those initial days where you had a perception and an idea of what your tenure would be like, 
how has that developed, either good or otherwise, since those days? Are you talking about since day one when I came aboard? Yeah, and- yes. What did you think you were getting into and what, what, how has this gone? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I came, came in with um, great energy, great enthusiasm because I recognized the potential. You know, I was actually very disappointed early that you know, the United States Naval Academy, of which I'm a civilian. Unfortunately, I've never served. I regret it. But I've hung around these um, sailors and Marines long enough to know what they represent, and they deserved better. And I, and I could tell that when I came in. I mean, the stadium was dilapidated. Um, you know, Bill can give us the stats, but it was, it was something like we hadn't won a home game in like four years in football. It was just beyond my comprehension. Um, had been at Houston, really enjoyed Houston. We had a lot of momentum going at Houston. But it was just the call of, of the ability to be able to serve, the opportunity to serve in this environment with these people at a prestigious institution like the Naval Academy that motivated me in the early going. So I brought the energy, the juice. I brought some experience, some thinking in terms of um, you know what it would take to comprise a successful program. But it was really the um, energy and the enthusiasm as well of our alumni, our foundation, you know, those people that wanted the same thing. You know, they felt the same way I did, that we've got to be better. We've got to be more representative. We're a program or should be a program of national stature. So when you take a look at people that go back like Admiral Holloway, who was in the mix, you know, um, so many of those great people, and he headed up the foundation at the time, uh, George Watt, who was here at the time, Admiral Ryan, who was the superintendent, you know, they were just a get it done attitude, you know, whatever it takes. So they gave me the, the confidence, the entree, the funding, the resources to be able to affect this vision that we had. And it started with even the, you know, the phasing of the stadium, you know, building that momentum, that energy, that belief that we could create something that was really of significance and would um, you know, re-engage our people. Then Paul Johnson came in, you know, the ability to be able to hire Paul. You know, and Paul brought that great expect to win attitude. And you know, it took us a year, but I mean, in year two, there were results. And we just kept building on that momentum as we went along. And football is the catalyst for everything. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I'm a baseball fan and a basketball fan and a soccer fan, and I'm an athletic director in the broadest context. But when football wins, we all win. It just takes everyone to the next level. So by taking that football program and straightening it out and doing the things that we need to do, scheduling smart, um, you know, calling in old contacts regarding bowl games, uh, dealing with some television, you know, based on some sentiments that, hey, cut Navy a break. We need a break. And they did. You know, then the ship starts to come in and things work. So I'm not going to say that I had any magic wand. I just had, um, uh, you know, a, a, an intense intensity in, in, my, in my business, Ackerman, to, to fix it and to get it back on track because that's who we need to be. And then, of course, once we got the momentum going, we started winning games. It started to reverberate, margin of excellence funding. You know, we've grown our budgets, grown our endowments. We've grown our exposure. You know, we've joined a league in football, so things started to come together. But it was really the strength of an institution, not one person, the strength, collective strength of um, people that re- represent something very, very important 
you know, to our nation. And that's a successful Naval Academy. Well, Chad, you and I have talked about, I'm going to one day write this book that I've lived, that I was here for the entire thing with you hand in hand alongside the greatest era of Navy football. And you go back and look at the history of Navy football back into the 1890s. Never has there been this much sustained, sustained success. I think we're what winning seasons in bowl bursts in 18 of 19 years. That's just incredible. You don't see that anywhere. I don't care who you're looking at, you know, Notre Dame, you know, USC, you name any major program, they've had their down periods for Navy a service academy to have had this much sustained success, only one losing season, or two actually, two losing seasons in about 19. I know you've had a distinguished career in administration, but is that one of your most uh, proud achievements of your entire career? Yeah, I think, Bill, all the places I've been, I've really enjoyed uh, leaving some type of a mark to whatever the degree. I mean, if you went back to Tulane or Houston or even Syracuse or, you know, BC, there's a little something that I was able to influence, which I'm proud of. But, I mean, we've stayed here for, what, almost 20 years, 18, 19 years now. And it's, it's, it's not because we've got this thing going and we're maintaining it, because that's not the way it works. You can't maintain anything, you know, at this level. The competition is right on your heels. It's been the challenge every year, the constant challenge. It's been what I call the juice. You know, there's always something going on. And the reason I've stayed at Navy as long as I have is because there was always that next challenge out there, that always that next thing to reach. You know, believe it or not, you know, one of the things that really has motivated over the years has been even, um, um, you know, a, a sidebar fun thing I had going with Steve Earhart and the Liberty Bowl. You know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I told Steve, you know, we're going to bring Navy to the Liberty Bowl. You know, and, and we just kept laughing and talking about it, you know, for 10 years, but it was always something in the back of my mind, you know, we're going to get to the Liberty Bowl. You know, and then all of a sudden the dynamics turned out uh, such that we did this year and had a great day. But um, it's been a wonderful run again because of what I mentioned a moment ago to Ward. Um, so many people are so much involved in, in, in the support to make this work. You have to have leadership. We need to have a good football coach. We need to have a good staff. And we need to have a good admissions director. We need to have a good you know, dean of students who is our commandant. And we have to have a supportive superintendent. And, you know, over the years, uh, we have had all of that. You know, we've had those people. And that's what the strength of an institution is about. You know, refuse to lose mindset. And couple that again with, as I mentioned a moment ago, Bill, with the resources, which has been the ability of our our uh, development people to raise millions of dollars in support of facilities, salaries, um, and, and, and supplemental funding for excellence, you know, it's it's it works. It's a business plan, but it works. Well, we all were wondering what would happen with the Notre Dame game, and last week we found the uh, solution, and I think you guys came up with a very creative alternative to Ireland and I'm sure we'll go back to Dublin Ireland at some point that experience will happen for Navy fans but um, this solution of playing in Annapolis is actually creating an extraordinary event that's never happened before Will as you said it would never have happened in your lifetime if not for the pandemic and uh, and barring another pandemic God help us we, we won't see it again and I think there's a lot of buzz 
brewing about Navy, Notre Dame, and Annapolis. Dovetailing off that, though, it doesn't completely fix everything. You're going to get TV money, but you have no idea what kind of revenue will be drawn from the game. And you and I talked last week about, as, as we don't know how many fans will be in the stands for either Notre Dame or any other home game, and we don't know what the future holds, how the season one develop, or develop you had mentioned that there could be revenue streams that are affected. I mean, ticket sales, uh, sponsorship. There's a, can you just kind of mention some of the things you've yeah. thought about as to how things might change if we have limited fans in the stands or, God help us, none? Well, I tell you, Bill, you know, if, if you were to ask me right from the beginning, what is my biggest concern and what keeps me up at night? You know, simply it's this, that, again, I mentioned we got great coaches. we got a schedule that's manageable. We can play in the league that we do and all of the above. You know, we, we beat Army and we beat Air Force and all those other neat things. But really one of our greatest challenges is uh, to sustain a, a business operation that complements the academy. Uh, the NAAA is essentially a self-sustaining business operation. You know, and we deal with 33 varsity sports for all good reasons. The educational values that come with leadership development for all of our midshipmen justifies a program that broad based. Uh, but we've got to support it. We've got to find a way to make it work. Costi and Karen were mentioned and the cellos and, you know, Joe Amplo and they'll go right down the line. Keith Purrier and all the good people that we have, you know, those are, are people that we attracted, we recruited to the Naval Academy, and with that comes market value. So we've got to make certain that we're able to sustain our financial model. You know, this philosophical or this perspective that, you know, we put the Navy midshipmen at disadvantage, you know, by not playing our games in alum, uh, Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium or, you know, having to play the Notre Dame game in, in a venue, an uh, NFL venue, you know, it's just part of the equation. Is part of what has to be done is reality of, you know, paying the head coach, you know, paying the assistant coaches, you know. So <clears throat> the Notre Dame game is an incredibly important asset to us. It really is. And when we lose that game in Dublin, it's, it's multi-million dollars, you know, that we lose towards a budget that sustains that program that I just mentioned. So trying to find a way to make up for that, you know, is going to be key. And, and one of the concepts we've looked at, is, is a you know much more expensive ticket, you know, probably an extraordinarily expensive ticket, you know, knowing that the crowd is going to be very limited, you know, doing uh, due to the uh, social distancing, et cetera, if there is a crowd. And I think that it's going to be a novelty. It's going to be something that people are going to say, you know, I don't care what it costs. You know, it's a once in a lifetime. You know, they're going to next games up in the Meadowlands, the next games in Baltimore, the next games in, you know, Philadelphia. So I think that this one-off in Navy Marine Corps, the opportunity to be there is going to help us justify, you know, a um, an opportunity to generate some revenue out of this game that may offset some of these costs that we need. Not because, you know, of any reason other than the 33 sports, you know, and the midshipmen deserve an opportunity to be successful. And I need, you know, these opportunities to generate the, uh, the funding. To make it work. So, you know, if you, if you look at our finances real quickly, we had a summer camp program with 10,000 people in it. Very lucrative. We've got a Navy Notre Dame game. Very lucrative for us. 
corporate sponsorship, very lucrative for us. Television AAC affiliation, very lucrative you know, for us. Home game ticket sale, very important for us. Army-Navy game, very important for us. And then finally, development, you know, those that support the program through blue and gold. But if you take those five or six or seven entities, that basically constitutes about 70, 75% of our budget. So when you lose one of them, we've already lost summer camp. You know, we refunded 10,000 campers for summer camp. We lose Notre Dame. Now we're down to, what, four of the six that generate 70% of the revenue. So it's, they're important that we um, are able to, um, you know, capitalize for purposes of, you know, relieving the academy, allowing the academy to redirect their funding to academics and other types of activities. And we take pride in the fact that we're self-sustaining, you know, because of the generosity of our, our fans. But Notre Dame is a big one for us, and we got to find a way to make it work. One last question for me, Chet. Um, some aspects of an athletic director's job don't stop during pandemic. You had to hire two new varsity coaches since the virus situation began, and I think you hit home runs on both of them. Kerry Colad is a wrestling coach. My goodness, he is name brand. I mean, he is a big-time name in the world of wrestling. As soon as I heard it, I thought, wow, Kerry Colad, and I think there's been a lot of excitement regarding that. And then Coach Taylor for women's basketball, uh, you know, after I looked into his background, I was very impressed. In fact, I called you and said, this guy sounds great. And then I talked to him on the phone for an hour and could not have been more impressed. Um, he, he, what a, a genuine guy and great, very personable. I, I just cannot see either of these two coaches not having success. Can you talk about that? Because it wasn't the normal hiring process. Couldn't even really bring them in for a tour of the academy and face-to-face. You had to kind of do it via Zoom, et cetera. But I, I think you made two excellent hires. Could you speak on those? If you go back over the course of my many years as an athletic director, you know, I've hired, I don't know, I could say dozens, but I would probably say hundred, you know, coaches, you know, just coaches hires have been a part of what I do. I've never ever hired a coach, never mind two coaches that I've never shaken their hand. I just gave them the elbow bump, you know, and that's the way we've, um, we've dealt with it because of the COVID we were socially careful. Um, but it's a great example, you know, without getting specifically into their background, because you've kind of highlighted that, Bill, but it's a great example of why the revenue generation, again, is so critical in the NAAA to make hires like those two stars. You know, I, I don't think that we pay our coaches exorbitant amounts of money, but we, again, are competitive. And, the, you know, revenue generating from the Notre Dame game and the summer camps, et cetera, make those hires possible. It allows them to come to the Annapolis and reside here with their families in a reasonably comfortable setting. And then to retain them, you know, because again, many of our coaches are constantly being recruited away by other institutions. But if you'll notice, they all stay. Rarely do we lose a coach at Navy, certainly at the, at the head coaching level, as we do everything we can to set them up and take care of them. And, you know, Carrie Colat. And Tim Taylor are two coaches that there will be a return on our investment. You know that. You've already alluded to it. So the more that we can do for them, support them with staff, with resources, with video, with travel, with you name it, I think the more successful we'll be. And one thing we've always 
focused on at Navy, as long as I've been here, Bill, is that, um, you know, we're a championship caliber program in the context of who we are. That we play in the Patriot League, but we win it every year. You know, we play against Army and Air Force, but we beat them for the most part every year. Uh, you know, we're in the AAC, you know, seven and one, or we played for the Western Championship three of the last five years. You know, we're winners. We want to keep it that way. And it starts with great coaches and um, resources and support. And I couldn't be more pleased with the two of these people. I can't wait to see them in operation. Our previous interviews on the previous six pods have been a, a little bit of a view into what you've accomplished during your tenure. And, and I, I, won't, I won't go too long with this, but the, the winning streak against Army, the Commander-in-Chief's trophies, you know, right when you first got here, uh, the lacrosse team going to the final four with Brendan Looney, the, you know, the women's soccer game against North Carolina, which I think was the highest attendance for a women's soccer game ever, um, you know, played in Navy Marine Corps stadium, mm -hmm. uh, the bowl games, uh, you know, hiring Ed DeCellis away from, uh, Penn state right after a great run of success. Um, and, and then the, the maintenance of, of the brand, uh, you know, the, the, the expectation of excellence, you know, and, and I'll end it the, the far, the, you know, the bookend on this very last end is the renovation to Ricketts. It was one of the last things that, that I was involved in before I left as the PAO when we were talking about what that was going to be and why we needed to renovate it. Can you talk a little bit about what the Ricketts renovation will be and when people walk in there, what they'll see and why it's important to the message of Navy athletics? Sure, John. I think it takes a little bit of a buildup. Um, it goes back to what we've talked about kind of in general here, uh, the ability to generate revenue, generate enthusiasm, sustain support, uh, tell your story, uh, and be ahead of the curve with regard to the competition. Ricketts is a result of our vision uh, as it pertains to the strategic plan, which correlates with the capital campaign for the academy. You know, years ago, we sat down and we talked about what are our goals? What are our objectives? And our, one of our objectives was to provide supplemental resources to all the coaches to make certain that they could always attain excellence, be champions. And that supplemental money is above and beyond their budget. Number two, we talked about recruiting and retaining the best coaches we can attract to the Naval Academy. It's exactly what Bill and I were just talking about. Colette and, and Tim Taylor and right down the line. The third had to do with facilities, making certain that our athletes had the finest facilities that we could possibly create, uh, and certainly facilities that exceed you know, those of our sister academies, that being Air Force and that being Army. So it's been part of a vision, part of a plan, part of a fundraising initiative. You know, again, we've raised millions of dollars. That Ricketts Hall is going to be probably close to $27 million when it's completed. All the money's been raised. It's been raised over the last five years. It has been in progress and development for quite some time. Right now, it's just about finished. And I can say this to you, John, it's, it's difficult to really explain without seeing it. And the reason that I say that is because most athletic facilities, people envision, you know, trophies all over the place and, you know, some jerseys hanging and, 
you know, some balls and pieces of goalposts and all kinds of static displays kind of reflecting the history and tradition. This particular facility, not only does it overlook the most beautiful view in the city of Annapolis, and when you see it, you'll know what I'm talking about. We created a glass facade that's just magnificent, but it's an ongoing story by virtue of, of technology that's interchanging all the time in terms of what it means to be a midshipman at the academy, what it means to be an athlete. And the first, the gist of it is, you know, what will you become when you grow up? You know, if you're a prospect or a recruit. And then, of course, it exemplifies all the wonderful opportunities you have by coming to the academy and, of course, serving our country. So it's a storytelling facility that is constantly, again, evolving and changing. Now, it does have, you know, the, the rivalry between Army and Navy. It does have our legends. It does have our All-Americans, all in video display that are, that are interactive. It has a, a theater that I'll – and you can – show this clip and you can say, see, he said it was the most incredible theater you've ever seen when, when you actually see it. It's an IMAX theater, but they created basically a spaceship out of it. So it's, it's over the top crazy. So it's the latest technology in everything that we could possibly create. I wanted to make it interchangeable as well. So that when Kenny comes up with a football recruit, Everything is controlled such that we can change the theme of the facility to football, or we can change the theme to basketball, or we can change it to uh, lacrosse. And when I say that, you know, we've got probably 30 video displays throughout the entire building that can be programmed, again, to reflect some other dimension of what we're trying to emphasize. So there's some really neat stuff in this that, that makes it um, – you know, I hate to use the word because it's kind of, a, you know, it's been overused, state of the art, but you've never seen anything like it, I guarantee you. And I'll, I'll be look forward to sharing it with you and our fans when it's opened this fall and when it's dedicated in November. Awesome. Um, so, sir, I'll, I'll ask one more question before I turn it over to Ward. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you something. You, you and I talked a little bit about it back and forth when I was there as the PAO, and, and I'll just ask you to be as plain as you can be. We've talked at length so far in the previous pods and today about the, the benefits or the, the merits of the U.S. Naval Academy. Um, you know, I'm, so for right now, I am Bruce Fleming, and I am trying to say that, hey, not necessary, complete you know, just sump on the, uh, on the defense budget. The, the academies don't make any better officers than ROTCs. You know, we're dumping all this money into this, you know, ridiculous glass facade rickets building and, and Hopper Hall for the Cyber Center. Can't we spend this money better? If I'm a Bruce Fleming out there, sir, and, and you have one chance to, to sell why the, why the USA needs the service academies, why they specifically need the Naval Academy, what would you say? Well, that's a, you know, that's a question that I, I, I probably am more emotional about than I might be able to be verbal about because of the investment that, you know, I have personally made in something I believe so strongly in. I mean, what the Naval Academy represents, and again, it would sound a little packaged 
if I went too far into, into finding leadership, you know, the developmental leaders, you know, the uh, call to serve, you know, all of the qualities, the, you know, the values of what the academy represents is a little bit kind of sterile. But I think that, you know, what we do is we put together what we call our strategic vision, you know, and it's what motivates us every day. And it's the attributes that constitute what a midshipman's all about. And those attributes, you know, honor, um, you know, intelligence, uh, they are articulate, motivational qualities. Um, there are so many components that comprise a midshipman that are the sum of the parts of all the pieces that are put together that comprise that individual, morally, mentally, and physically. And I mean, I think that anyone could nitpick any particular dimension of trying to justify, you know, one area or another area, and it's all debatable. You know, chemistry is needed, physics is needed, athletics is needed or not, etc. But when you take a look at what constitutes the whole person and the qualities that we produce in terms of effective, motivational, confident leaders to not only serve our country, but then serve our community, I think it's it, it, the sum of the parts is just an incredible place to be. You know, when we were leaving Houston and we came up to the United States Naval Academy and we were trying to contemplate whether or not we wanted to make the move or not, you know, my wife was the one I think was that was the closer in the end. She said, it's what you believe in. It's what you're all about. You know, it's, it, it has the, the integrity of, of, a, of, a, of an environment that is unsurpassed. And to be a part of it is something special, but also to know that you can affect the lives of these young men and young women in a way that you can help them develop their qualities of character, leadership, is just something that is um, makes this place invaluable. So, I mean, I would like to have had more time to think about it, but that's just speaking you know, from the top of my head that uh, you can't put a price tag on what this represents. And, um, you know, everyone has a... Um, a perspective, an angle. Everybody has a perspective that may be a little, little bit different. But when you look at what the place represents as a whole and the people that uh, that drive this ship, it's as good as it gets. Well, the highest praise I can provide for an example of Chet as a leader is I've seen him shut down a room full of grumpy old men talking about whether they're going to have to continue to pay their dues during the golf course renovation. And he said simply, we are all in. And that just stops the conversation. It was a beautiful thing. So uh, it's been a pleasure to watch you work, Doctor. Um, how much longer, if you had to put a time frame on it, do you think you're going to be in the job? Or is it a sort of as long as it keeps being fun kind of a thing? I got to win a game here pretty quick. I'm not going anywhere until we win a game somewhere, somehow. You know, I, I think that um, I mentioned before, maintenance is not what I'm about. You know, and there's always been a challenge. We're coming to the end of the second capital campaign. You know, we're at the point where we've pretty much touched all of our athletic facilities. There's a few more that are left to, to address. We're going to renovate Halsey Fieldhouse. We're going to uh, renovate our squash courts, which we're doing, tennis facility, finish the physical mission center, which is in, the, in, the, uh, in Ricketts Hall. Um, you know, but I'll be honest with you, I, I think that um, – there's always time for a change at some point. I don't know when it's going to be, to be honest with you. I don't have a specific date, but I do want to finish those projects that I mentioned a moment ago. Probably should have got out winning the Commander-in-Chief and with Malcolm Perry, but uh, I'm going to hang in there for 
a little bit longer and make sure that we're for real and see if we can get bounced back here for another football season and then we'll reevaluate. But uh, we're winning. We're successful. Things are going well. The superintendent is, is very supportive, has asked me to um, be patient, and I'm going to do that. And at some point, he and I will sit down and talk about uh, it's time for change. But uh, that's all TBD. Well, sir, you've uh, you've been incredibly patient, having to you know live right next door to the likes of Steve Boston for almost ten years there on the yard. So, uh, so I tip my cap to you for that. Can't even get a cup of sugar out of the guy. Never mind. Uh, yeah, an acquired taste. I hope I hope he listens. But uh, but hey, sir. Um, Thank you so much uh, for for not only joining us today, but but like you said at the beginning, the, the the support of this venture, the making available your players, your coaches, your staff. You know, we've talked to Mike Riggins, we've talked to Ed DeCellis, we've had every single athlete uh, made available to us who we've asked for, and and that's just a credit to the culture that you've created there. So thank you, number one, for what you've done for the Naval Academy, and thank you, number two, for joining us today. We're looking forward to uh, for you to win that that next game and for there to be a football season and, and having you back on in the fall. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks for doing what you're doing, fellas. I really appreciate you. It's, um, it's, it's, it's so important to us to know that we have your support and your um, enthusiasm. Thanks, gang. Yes, Thank sir. You. Thank you. That was Chuck Gladchuck, the athletic director of the U.S. Naval Academy. Fantastic show today, Chet, and also Ted Carter, the former superintendent. We're going to go to break really quick, and when we come back, uh, Ward and Wags and I will take us out. You are listening to Sing Second Sports. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available. All right, we're back. Uh, we're going to finish off this pod, uh, kind of a marathon pod today, but I think completely worth it. Two incredible interviews with two incredible gentlemen who I think even the most cynical voice um, would have to say that Ted Carter and Chuck Gladchuck have moved the Naval Academy forward, uh, not only athletically, but as a brand. Um, so, hey, I'll, I'll kick it to I'll kick it to Ward here. Number one, you know, how did you feel about one of the prettiest golf courses in the state of Maryland yesterday, Whiskey Creek? And then, you know, what stuck out to you um, about today's interviews? We're ambling about uh, the state of Maryland. Uh, so I would rate Whiskey Creek as the most uh, naturally beautiful of the, the courses we've played so far. Um, we had a, a, a nice day. It was nibbling at being uh, humid, uh, but, uh, uh, and, like you said, we got Wags in the mix there. Um, Wags hit the long ball. When he stays behind the ball, he has a beautiful little baby draw. Um, so uh, we look forward to more adventures on the links as the uh, weeks go forward here. With respect to the interviews, I've known Ted since we were midshipmen together. He was a year ahead of me at the academy, and I did know him. Um, he was the editor of The Log, the Midshipman Lampoon magazine. I was one of the art artists, one of the cartoonists. So... Um, and he was a Tomcat rear like I was. So uh, he was mostly West Coast where I was East Coast, but you'd see him around. And so we come from similar tribes. And then when I returned to Annapolis, um, my first order of business was to have lunch with him in the admin building there. 
Um, and I just realized he was totally in his element. And as we all know, um, he did a brilliant job, as did his wife, Linda, in the role of superintendent that is a multi-headed beast to get it right. And he was there for five years as a function of Fat Leonard and other things. But he, he, uh, he's just a, a great, great American um, that understates it. And in his NAAA facing capacity, he was holistic and, and very much forward leaning. And uh, so it's only right that we would talk to him. And I watched him play hockey back when the rink was in Dahlgren Hall. Um, and he was a scrapper and uh, one of the standouts, you know, whether you'd call him a star or not, I'd let, leave that to the, the, the others to determine. But uh, certainly he's his support of NAAA was we was leveraging his his uh, he was a club sport back then. Um, his own experience as an athlete uh, while being a mid. Um, now, break, break, talking about Chet. Um, as Will heard during the interview, you know, I've known him since the very beginning. I was still on active duty when he first got here. And I, I've watched him at close range uh, in my capacity as a member of the chain gang and, uh, and all the other things of, you know, being a resident of Annapolis. And so what I know about him um, is he, he isn't overly thinking the criticism that may exist. He is a leader with, with a vision and a place to be, and he's walked the walk in terms of creating winning programs. And I will say that has very much tempered, if not completely muted, the criticism, particularly that in the early days of how this big city guy was going to come in and make uh, a, a behemoth out of the program that would lose its heart. That has not happened. He's won without losing the charm of, of Navy sports uh, along the lines of what people were concerned about. So, uh, uh, you know, very much uh, enjoyed that conversation. I will also point out that uh, he did um, validate or he did confirm a rumor that we've, we've alluded to before, particularly with our Facebook Live hit. And then some, I think we talked about it on the show, with respect to ticket prices at the Navy-Notre Dame game. So it's going to be like Rolling Stone's edge of the stage kind of thing. I, I think you're going to see some four digit numbers uh, and then upper deck is going to be high three digits. So that's just the way it is. That's just the economics of it, right? Fewer people want to see how we can generate equal or greater revenue for this as Chet characterized it, a once in a lifetime experience. So uh, the normal fans uh, who are expecting to pay season ticket prices, uh, you're going to get priced out of this one. So uh, just get used to it. You know, Wags used a lot of superlatives when it comes to, um, you know, to Ted Carter, uh, you know, his favorite soup, uh, obviously Chet with the sustained excellence, you know, turning the football program around. Ward, like you said, you and I were both on active duty, um, you know, when we lost like 73 to nothing in 2000 or 2001 to uh, Georgia Tech or, or someone like that. And, and just turning that program around, bringing the Veterans Classic with Ed DeCellis to the Naval Academy, and, and not without, you know, the, the bumps in the road, the firing of Richie Mead, you know, which was a bump in the road and hard for him, and, and the death of David Forney this year, and, and losing to Army a couple of years in a row after the big winning streak. But I, I guess, not to overly simplify the question, but what would you say to the yeah, with no disrespect to the Jack Langles of the world or the Sean Bucks or the Admiral Ryans or anything like that. But, you know, will the Naval Academy ever see a, a more golden time than they had with Ted Carter and Chuck Gladchuck there at the same time? 
it was a pretty darn good team, and you heard the mutual respect between the two, uh, Ted in particular talking about Chet and just how he's one of the best in all of the country at what he does. So, And Chet's accomplishments are, have, you know, by and large outstanding. We hadn't mentioned elevating women's lacrosse to a varsity sport, hiring the most successful coach in the history of women's lacrosse, and the fact that women's lacrosse reached the Final Four in a very short order. So that's another success story. Um, so, yeah, I think it's been, it was an outstanding partnership between Admiral Carter and Chet Gladchuk, and they worked very well today together and got a lot of things done. Uh, last thing I'll say about our interviews, uh, Chet, very frank and upfront regarding finances. Um, football drives the bus, and no matter how you slice it, there's going to be lost revenue from football. The, he said not playing Notre Dame in Dublin, Ireland is a multi-million dollar hit. Uh, if you only have 10,000 fans in the stands at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium, you're, you're looking at more financial hits. Then you talk about sponsors. You know, they may not, you can't charge sponsors as much if you don't have 30,000 people in the stands looking at the advertisement on the video board. Uh, you know, the sponsors are going to want a reduction in what they normally pay. So Chet's going to have to navigate, negotiate some challenges here as we move forward with football. And uh, he was pretty frank in, uh, in that assessment. I, I concur that the sort of uh, time and place of Ted's last year and, and, and Chet was, was a magic year. However, um, I, I'm, uh, you know, we had a great season this year with, with Sean Buck in place. Um, and, and I was, I, I didn't think there was, it was possible that you could follow Ted. And I think, uh, Admiral Buck's done a fantastic job so far. Now he's faced with, uh, the world has changed now. So whatever we thought we were going to do to build on last season, it's going to be harder. So we'll see how that goes. But I, I agree. And obviously, as I've already described, I'm not unbiased when you talk about Ted Carter. Um, and I was very proud of how he, uh, he used his time as soup, um, to better the institution holistically. Um, the last thing I'll say about Chet, and as a as an alum, I, I know that my peer group and the others, uh, and I can't speak to you know other institutions like Villanova. But the thing about being a Naval Academy grad is your sense of ownership uh, is very keen, right? So when when even if you're not a football player, you have an opinion on what should be done with the football team. When you change horses, either at coach or at AD or whatever, there's everybody wants to say what's what. And so watching how Chet conducts himself, as I said during the interview, with something like a room full of old white men who all think that they are the person who should be in charge, right? Chet does not wait for somebody to tell him what to do. He sort of tries to build consensus and then he takes action and leads. So that to me is what has underwritten his success is he is, and I know he, he said up front he wishes he had served. Well, I'm going to suggest as a vet and a grad that he has served in terms of what he's done for the Naval Academy and the way that he's led. So I, I, I very much appreciated being able to watch him execute at close range uh, in the last five and a half years most, most acutely. And so um, I think he proved that in how he uh, comported himself during the interview today with the way, as Wags just said, you know, he, he's not backing away from the hard issues. And he'll say, yes, economics are affected. Yes, the football team funds everything else. This is how we're going to do it. 
you know, and he's proved with how he's walked the walk about, as Wag said, the hires in the little known sports or the lesser uh, economic generator sports. Um, but, you know, there's no way you can't say he, he doesn't care about the other sports. If you're saying that, you're ignoring what he's done. You're ignoring the acts he's made it, it, to improve the entire Naval Academy sports experience across the board. So I think we're lucky we got him. And uh, again, as you've said, this is sort of a uh, manifestation of what we're going to do here at Sync Second. Most definitely. And um, I think one of the big things for, for Chuts tenure here is is obviously the impact of coach Niamatololo and next week uh, we hope to uh, have coach on and one of the players as we're getting closer and closer to the aforementioned Notre Dame game we're going to start talking football a little bit more here and and hopefully next week we can get coach and and a couple of other members or alumnus of the uh, football team on with us but um, I'll take us out by saying I, I, I completely agree with what Chet said in response to my question. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of people opine that the Naval Academy is unnecessary, that you can build just as good of a Naval officer from sending them to nine weeks of OCS up in Newport, Rhode Island, or letting them go to Harvard uh, and do ROTC. Um, I, I'll tell you first and foremost, I've gone to a service academy, been kicked out of a service academy gone to ROTC and now taught and then served at the Naval Academy, not only as an instructor, but as the PAO. And, and the Naval Academy is 100 million percent um, worth every penny that, that the taxpayers contribute to, to let the Naval Academy continue to do what it does. And that is create people of character and consequence. And you heard from two of them today. Until we meet again, we wish everyone uh, very good health and very good luck. Uh, please be kind to each other. Uh, be mindful of what's going on out there in the world. If you ever have the opportunity to exact some change in your life, now is the time. So for Sing Second Sports, for Ward Carroll, for Bill Wagner, for our intrepid producer, Chris Cervello, three of the best golf partners that exist out there. I am John Schofield, and we will talk to you next week on Sing Second Sports. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.